Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana, where it is Friday, October 27th, 3.03 p.m. in the afternoon, and a beautiful fall day in Indianapolis. Uh, we're, we're excitedly awaiting our first arrival of some winter weather this weekend, 25 degrees, so uh, it will not be long, and soon winter will be upon us. And I want to thank the Apple uh, Corporation for sponsoring uh, our program and also all of the listeners who listen to the show and those, some of you who subscribe. Don't forget you can subscribe and receive every podcast without uh, uh, really uh, being aware of it and, and have it come to your uh, email address. Uh, now, uh, today we have with us uh, a very, very special guest. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you a lot about him because we want to find out that all about him as we have our interview today. So um, let's start with uh, who who is going to be speaking today. And that person is Dr. Alex Quintanilla, a noted professor, a full professor at Butler University, and also uh, a very prolific writer as well. So uh, we are very honored to have Alex be on our show. And uh, Alex, uh, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, Tom. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here and, and to be a guest. Well, thank you for being with us. Um, I'm going to let you start a little bit and tell the audience about uh, your family and where you were born. And, uh, and I know you really dearly love this, this country. And, uh, and tell tell a little bit about uh, your family, who's there, et cetera, and other parts of where your family's at. And uh, so we have an idea of uh, where you are coming from. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, as, uh, as you said, my name is Alex Quintanilla. I was born in El Salvador, and I grew up in El Salvador until I finished my undergrad school. And then I got a scholarship to Spain. I was there for half a year. And after that, I came to the United States for the first time. That was in 2002 uh, to, um, to study a master's degree. And once I finished my master's degree, I did a PhD at the University of Florida. And finally, I came to, to Indiana to teach at Butler University. And all of my family uh, is in El Salvador. I'm married. Uh, my husband is, is from Spain and we live here in the United States, but the rest of my family is in El Salvador. Okay. Um, now, um, so you came to the United States and you studied at uh, several, well, two, two universities, correct? Yes. Uh, one was what West Virginia, perhaps. West Virginia University, and Morgantown, then, and then the University of Florida, correct? Yes. Which, yes. Which university was your favorite of those two? Oh, they were two different experiences. Uh, in West Virginia, that was my first time in the United States, and I was not very familiar with uh, how school worked here and so I was learning many things um, but I liked the university and the place 
the state of West Virginia is so beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say I felt like I was in a more American uh, environment because there's more, there, there's less, uh, how do you say, Spanish speakers in West Virginia than in Florida. So uh, I like that. Uh, that made me learn a lot about the United States. And, well, that's uh, well said, yes. And um, what about our school system compared to your school system, let's say in El Salvador, that you were used to? And and, and I'm assuming as well, uh, the Latino school systems kind of follow the pattern, right? I mean, there's similar yeah. types, different countries, but same type of system. Is there a lot of difference in the systems? Uh, is Are the Latino systems more challenging? Or do you think our system is more challenging? Um, probably challenging. It depends on what you call challenging. Uh, the part that I like about this, well, in, the, in El Salvador, when you study a major, uh, we don't have minors in major. We mm-hmm. you only choose one thing. And the subjects that you're going to study are already fixed, so you cannot change. We have a few electives, but usually you have to follow, uh, it's called a pensum. You have to follow that pensum uh, of subjects, so you don't have options. You have to take all the classes you have to. Uh, In my case, I think it was like 50 subjects or so. And so there there are not many electives, right? No, there's a few, but probably like two or three electives. Are the cla- then, are the classes generally more difficult than in the United States? You think? Or in the case of El Salvador, I think it depends on the class. The classes that since I did a major in English, I think we had a lot of influence from the United States. Many of my professors studied here, so the way they taught was very similar. Now, what is different is that in the United States, first you have more freedom to choose mm-hmm. subjects. So someone who learns Spanish here, I mean, two persons can study Spanish, but they might have studied very different mm-hmm. subjects. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, I like that because you can choose right. what you like the most. And the in terms of difficulty, or oh, the other thing here, there's more emphasis on research. I think we do a more, uh, uh, at the University of the United States, it looks like the research is more important. In El Salvador, it's more about theory. What, mm-hmm. I mean, you learn a lot of theory, but um, there's less research. Okay. Um, now, so you were at Florida. How, how many years did you study at Florida then for your PhD? Five. Five years. Five years. So that was a pretty long grind, right? University of Florida is a great school, and it's a very highly rated school, right? Am I correct on that? Yeah, I could tell. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, the subjects were more challenging, and I learned a lot. Yeah, and for from people that yeah, they they do a lot of research. They are very well known. Uh, So that was very interesting. It's one of the top 10, isn't it? Is it not in Florida? I know, yeah, I don't know exactly what number they are, but they are usually, yeah. I know it's rated very high. So what did you study there at the the University of Florida? 
I study uh, romance. I think the title is Romance Languages, but my concentration was uh, Spanish linguistics, okay. more specifically sociolinguistics. Why did you decide to teach and study linguistics? I always liked uh, uh, linguistics since from El Salvador when I was in there. Uh, I always liked uh, other languages learning. I mean, I first started with English, then French, Portuguese, etc. And I love comparing languages, mm -hmm. how they, I mean, all the information they, uh, a language provides, not only in terms of the language itself, but also the culture, the history. So it's like you talk about language uh, in linguistic classes. So it's a very interesting field. So um, now there are some students, correct, mm -hmm. that really, they have a great ear for language learning, right? There, there are some that have a great ear, right? They can pick up all the sounds and and duplicate them when they speak. Then there are other people who have trouble, right? Or, or they, they just can't get it, right? Sometimes. And uh, do, have you found that over time they get better? I mean, after they get out of their classes too, if they, if they stay in contact with language, does that ever improve or no? Or they still after, have trouble? When you're steady? You mean when you yes, study them? Yes, yes. Or travel. Yeah, you definitely improve. Yeah, you definitely improve. Yeah. Uh, uh, and there are many things that many people are very good at language. They learn mm -hmm. easily and they do very good. But uh, when you learn a language uh, in a, how do you say, in a different context, like in a class, and in a linguistics class, uh, there are many things you don't know, or you take for granted, or you never think of, and then that makes you, how do you say, reflect or think uh, and improve. Uh, so the, it definitely helps, uh, and that's what I try to do when I teach at Butler uh, the linguistics classes. I I try that the students learn these things that they probably don't know. Or they take for granted and, that they know. And I, I, th it's, I think, you know, having talked to you a lot outside of class, I think you make your classes real, right? Real and yeah. fun and real, where it's like the, the kids are, uh, you know, really having a, a, a real experience, right? And uh, yeah. with language, and uh, which is really important, authentic, authentic mm -hmm. uh, things. And that's just wonderful. Now, do you have... Um, um, I know at Butler you teach a variety of courses. What are the top six courses that you teach that you like the best? Oh, well, I have, well, my favorites are linguistics classes, and especially the ones that have to do with sociolinguistics. Okay. And I would say my favorite one is, uh, it's, it's a dialectology class, but uh, I call it uh, language let me see how is the translation into English. <laughs> uh, linguistic variation in the Hispanic world. Okay. So, uh, uh, and that's my favorite class because we, let's say, travel through Latin America, from Spain, and then we jump to Latin America 
country by country, and we study the main linguistic characteristics that you can find in each country in terms of pronunciation, grammar, vocabulary, and sometimes culture too. Okay. Now, here's a question for you. An interesting question, I think. So let's say an adult or a student of Spanish or adult in, in business, and they think they're pretty good and they've been in Mexico a lot. And then all of a sudden they go to Argentina. Are they gonna have a big language uh, challenge there in Argentina? If they got- I don't think so. It depends okay. on the person, but that might also happen to native speakers. Like when you go from Mexico to Argentina or to Spain, or even from El Salvador to Guatemala, which are very close, uh, you will always find differences, like the way they call something or uh, the way they pronounce some so, letters. Now, the difference, for example, El Salvador, let's say, or Mexico, and if you go to um, Spain, the differences there, right, are fairly, fairly large, right? I mean, there's some major differences in the pronunciation. Am I right or wrong? Yes, I think it's probably the same when you hear someone from London versus yeah. uh, Sydney <laughs> yes. or, or... That's good. I love it. That is right. I, I was going to bring that up for you. Beautiful that you said that because... Uh, you know, there there are times when I watch a program on TV, if the people, the actors are from London, mm. I can't understand half of it. I mean, really. I mean, sometimes mm. it's a challenge to understand the spoken part, right? And in the English from from England. And uh, do you have the same thing sometimes in Spanish? I mean, I suppose it depends Spain. on. Yeah, it depends on the person. I would say is who speaks. You now the good thing now, like in the past when I was a kid. We didn't have inter internet, mm -hmm. so the only we could understand Mexicans because Mexico was like the Hollywood of Latin America. They had telenovelas, they had music, everything came from Mexico. So everybody in Latin America and probably in Spain too understood Mexicans, mm -hmm. and we knew when someone started right. speaking that they were from Mexico, and we probably knew or understood their vocabulary. And, and then we had a uh, time when we had operas from Venezuela, Argentina. So we were familiar with those dialects. Now with internet, uh, you can see YouTubers from almost everywhere. And actually some of the most famous YouTubers now are not actually from Mexico. They, some are from El Salvador, from uh, Spain, Argentina, Colombia, so all over the uh, world. Yes, all over the place. Yeah, and you so, can watch almost any dialect. So, so that yeah, helps. That helps a lot. Yes, and um, the um, the idea of language learning. Um, I, I guess you have to say that you just have to be flexible, right? When yeah. you travel, you and expect differences, right? I mean, yes. no matter where it is, there, there's going to be some differences. Um, so in Spain, for example, the vocab vocabulary can be a different, a lot different, right? Some of yes. the words. Uh, 
does that happen like in El Salvador? If you went from El Salvador to Mexico, is there a difference in vocab? Yeah, and the differences are like some people believe that, like in Spain, many people believe like there's like a Latino accent, but actually there's so many accents and dialects in <laughs> Latin America. Even for me, Mexican Spanish yes. is like the opposite. So it's so it depends. It depends on the country, the region, mm-hmm. and each country sometimes has different accents or dialects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we, to make it more simple, or if you want to understand how dialects work in Spanish, I would say that there are two big dialects, one in the of the highlands and one of the lowlands. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter which country you are, the highlands, are very similar. They they still have differences, but they are very similar. So someone from Mexico City, from Bogota, from let's see another Highland City, uh, Guatemala City, San Jose, Costa Rica, they will have very similar. Now, when you say Highland, you mean in the mountains, right? Yes, uh, and they're mountain cities, right? Attitude. Yes. Yeah, Isn't and then that... lowlands like uh, close to the ocean like the Caribbean, uh, Andalu- even Andalusia in Spain, which is not actually lowlands, but it's in the, in the case of Spain will be north and south. Mm-hmm. But the north will be, will be the highlands of Latin America and the mm-hmm. south will be the, low, uh, the lowlands of Latin America. So where would, so, you, where would, yes. you, where would you put the Spanish in, of Madrid then, in the middle? Uh, highlands. Oh uh, yeah, it'd be north, yeah, it'd be, yeah, okay. Yeah. And it has to do with history because Highlands is where the large cities were during the colony or the colonies of uh, when Spain was the, how do you say, during the colonial, when the colonizers came to the Americas, uh, the Highlands had more contact with uh, Madrid mm-hmm. and the Lowlands, because they were near to the ports, they had more contact with Andalusia. That's why the uh, the dialects are very similar. Like someone from Cuba and uh, Sevilla would speak more similar than someone mm-hmm. from Madrid or Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I I noticed in Cuba, for example, though, there's a big Cuban influence in the language, right? Because Spain was there a long time, right? You know, that was their last colony, right? The, the, yeah. the Spaniards. Yeah. And they were there a long time in the, you know, so it, inf- it did influence, I think, the language and culture, though, right? In Spain, because yeah. you know, the, the, the vocab is different, it's more similar to Spain, I think, you know, all in all. Now, here's another interesting question, I think. If you mm-hmm. were traveling in Spain, for example, this is what I have observed. I don't know if you would agree to this totally, but I always find that the, there's a big use of uh, more powerful language when people speak and read in, in Madrid, let's say, okay? So then when I'm in Mexico, you know, or Cuba, whatever, or, or Colombia or someplace, but there's this use of subjunctive, for example. Uh, you know, the cab drivers use the subjunctive a lot, right? All, a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they use the imperfect in, in España, you know, they'll speak with the imperfect. Whereas in Latin America, I've, I've noticed 
there's more use of the preterite, you know, especially in Mexico. And uh, that, I guess you could say the same thing about our English, right? I mean, if I were in England, I would, you know, I'm sure I would not speak near as well, you know, as, as my structure would be not as strong as somebody in London, let's say, right? I wouldn't use the compound tenses maybe enough or as much as they do. Or the newspaper, you know, when you read the newspaper, the London newspaper is prof you know, profound English, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenge, challenging. And uh, I think the same thing could be said of the newspaper in Madrid, newspapers in Madrid, right? Some of them are challenging to, you know, there's powerful vocab and everything else. Is that a good assessment, you think, or no? Uh, well, what happens is it's usually a natural change. Language changes everywhere, and in, sometimes because some regions are isolated or because of different reasons, mm -hmm. they develop their own, uh, I would say, forms mm -hmm. or structures. And there are many things like the subjunctive thing, are, uh, but there are many other uh, grammatical things that might be different in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might find things that are different, let's say in Mexico and País Vasco or Galicia, and, but not in Madrid. Or sometimes, uh, yeah, Castilla, but not in Sevilla. So uh, the list of things that you will, I mean, uh, the changes you will find, they are, uh, you will find them everywhere in all regions. And sometimes, yeah, the interesting thing is like, sometimes they happen in, in places that are far away that because I would understand if you find the lack of subjunctive in Mexico and in Guatemala because they are neighboring countries but sometimes you will find things that don't happen in neighboring countries and there's different explanations for that one is just a natural change others is because maybe the first colonizers came from that region there are places in Latin America where we had a lot of people from uh, Galicia or Andalusia or Catalonia, so you will find some of these changes mm -hmm. in there too. Now, is it not true though that speakers, a lot of it depends on the education level, correct? Of the people, right? The grammar yeah. facet. So it doesn't matter what country in Latin America or Spain it is, if somebody quits studying at fourth grade or fifth grade and they didn't mm -hmm. continue, right? Or whatever. Uh, does, is it not true that, that every year probably affects their language use and things of, of, of how they use language and are able to use it? In, in English too, here in the United States, I'm, I'm guessing it's the same thing. You know, somebody quits after fifth grade or seventh grade or 10th grade or 12th, and there probably is a very measurable difference in the usage of language, right? Of the correctness of it all. Does that make sense, the correctness of it all? Yes, it, it affects, I mean, because you speak the way you are used to, uh, wherever you grow up, like in yes. uh, El Salvador, I grew up using one form that is very common in Latin America. I don't know how to explain it. It's when we pluralize I, the I, una persona uh, in Spanish, but not I. We, that's the only exception where we don't pluralize I, but the other tenses of I, like había, 
Hugo, Abra, we mostly pluralize that all the time. And you can find that in almost all of Latin America and in many regions of Spain. So people usually would say that that's because of lack of education, but the phenomenon is so extended that even the president or Mexico, you will hear, or Bukele in El Salvador, I, uh, he, he uses this structure, but it's not accepted uh, in academia. Eh? Right. Now, so if this this structure um, that's accepted, mm -hmm. uh, there's another thing I've observed in my travels. Is a lot, a lot of the times this happens. There are people, and a lot of them, a lot of natives. Same way in the United States, a lot of natives here that speak very bad English, right? Grammatically. Right mm -hmm. and structure, structure and vocab both, but but then you've got uh, in 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 Latin America. I'm sure it's the same thing, and in Spain. But you can be walking down the street, and then you'll hear two people talk, and they just crucify the language. You know, they make one grammar error after another, after another, after another. I mean, it happens, right? I mean, it it happens. You know, you hear somebody say "el libro nueva" or. You know, I mean, just things, you know, that you're going, ooh, hey, los libros, los libros está en la plaza or something. You know what I mean? And, but, and the same thing happens in English, you know? Mm -hmm. If I hear, I hear people every day in English when I go into the stores and things, and they, they, they just, you know, they're liable to say anything, some of them, right? And I'm going, whoa, you know? And, but it isn't correct. But here's the trick. You can't say they're wrong, right? I mean, even if grammatically they're not correct, but everybody's doing it. I mean, if enough people do this, right, you can't say it's yeah. wrong. So one time in, in, when I was in San Luis Potosí, I did a study of using nativos, native speakers, the imperfect and preterite, right? And I was working on this project I was going to do, and, uh, uh, and I had rules, etc. and I asked the people, in these sentences, like I had a fairly long paragraph, do you use a preterite or imperfect, right? You've seen them in the books, you know, how they make the, the parent. And uh, I interviewed 50, 50 people, and it was almost a total split, 25, 25. And 25 said that sentence should be in the imperfect, and the other 25 people said, no, it should be in the preterite, right? And what was I going to do, tell them they're wrong, right? See what I'm getting at? I mean, you can tell them they're wrong, but if if there's a lot of people that believe this, right? I mean, it does have some truth to it as far as accepting it, right? You have to accept it, right? In English, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, you hear this bad English, and you're going, whoa, you know. And when you speak English, you're, you're probably like me, because I'm not a not native Spaniard or anything, or, or Latino, but I really analyze language when I hear it, you know? I pro you know, when I'm processing, here I do. I mean, even with English, I pay attention, you know, but if somebody makes, you know, two or three glaring errors, right? But then if the guy next to him and the t 10 people on this side, they're all saying the same thing and I'm going, okay, you know? <laughs> so does that happen a lot in the, in the Spanish speaking countries? Probably the same, right? Yeah, there's a, well, in linguistics, we, one of the first things we teach in a linguistics class is, Prescriptivism 
and descriptivism. And prescriptivism is the way people in the past saw language, like language had to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And they compared, like in the case of Spanish, they compared uh, Spanish to Latin and Greek. And so if you didn't, uh, the logic of language was based on certain rules, like this has to be like this because in Greek or in Latin was like this, or because this is the direct object or mm -hmm. because blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So that's called pre prescriptivism. But that changed last century uh, with linguistics, especially with American linguistics, when they realized that sometimes uh, speakers did things differently and, and they start wondering what's happening and what is correct, why is this correct and why this isn't correct. Uh, and so linguists, modern linguists, we are, uh, we are descriptive. So we describe language. So when, when I hear someone saying something like you say the imperfect, they use imperfect or they subjunctive or they don't use it. Uh, a linguist just describes what happened. We try to uh, find out why, uh, who, mm -hmm. where, <laughs> but we don't say it's correct or it's incorrect. Actually, no. if you say correct, incorrect, yeah, as a linguist, yeah, you, you get, will be... Yeah, you get in trouble. Like, yeah, well, yeah. If, you, if you write that in a paper, that you will be rejected immediately right, right, because right. you're judging. So, uh, so you just don't judge. The rules are... You, you, you can judge, but quietly, right? I mean, you don't... Yeah, you can say your opinion. Or you can say, I like the way it sounds, but you cannot say it's incorrect because uh, there's been the study of many, like uh, in, in the case of the United States of English, mm -hmm. I think in the past and probably today, there are people who think that Afro, it's called Afro-American mm -hmm. English is not English or something like that. The way that people speak mm -hmm. used to be seen as inferior or not real English. Yeah, absolutely. And then there were there were linguists who studied uh, black English, and then they found out that it had logic. The rules were not. Uh, they were like any like in, in any other language. So uh, the idea that what the way of speaking. Of that someone has uh, when they speak could be inferior or wrong uh, was uh, what they found is that the, the the purpose of communication is always there and there's like usually there's rules that they follow they are they are different than the ones that you that other dialects have mm -hmm. and usually people are afraid of the things they don't know so when you hear someone who speaks different the way the way you than the way you do yeah. then now, you probably are scared or you don't like yeah. it or yeah. now, you're shocked yeah one of the things that happens as well this happens um, um, then you get the pronunciation factor right you have some people right. who, who enunciate beautifully right and the, you know their language is very crystal clear then you have other people who are you know so so you know not terribly clear then you have some that are off the chart unclear right and i know i've been in places in the united states in the southern part of the united states when i'm really stretched to understand some of the english right 
that people don't open their mouth, maybe. Not that their English is so bad, but they don't pronunciate, they don't enunciate. And uh, I, I, I think, I, I, I know I've observed this in many countries too, that that goes on everywhere. Is that probably correct, the assessment? You know, that's, it's a style of how we speak, right? How do we speak? Everybody speaks differently. I guess you could say that, right? Everybody's different, yeah. which makes it, which makes uh, linguistics incredibly interesting, right? Everybody's different. I mean, yeah. you can't say, I'm going to talk English like you do, or you talk like me, or my brother's going to speak just like I do, and he doesn't, right? And uh, yes. there's a big difference. So how do you account for all that? I mean, it just, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a yeah very interesting topic and thing to to understand. And yeah, it's like every individual individual has their own characteristics too. That's called isolecto. I don't know the word in English. Isolect, I guess. Mm -hmm. Then we have register, which is the way you speak depending on where you are. There are words or structures you don't use in certain, like in English, I don't know, like I'm gonna, you don't say that probably in an interview. No, uh, no, no. So, oh, oh, but you do. No, but that's you, good. <laughs> I know, but so uh, that, that, that's interesting. the registers yeah. so, are like languages. So there would be, there would be, it's situational speaking, right? If I'm in the, right. if situation. I'm in the barbershop, that's the barbershop mm -hmm. situation, correct? And if I'm in uh, right. the, the bakery, that's the bakery stuff, food, right? And then if I'm, right. and if I'm at the airport, that's the airport stuff. And it's all different, right? It, it, it almost, yes. it, and they're it, also, yeah. yeah, and there's also, and that's go. That's I would say more complex than that because that's yeah, that's one case. The situation it could be the person, it could be the group you belong to or you identify with. Maybe middle class or lower class. It could be your age. Uh, and I always, mm -hmm. uh, uh, when I teach this class, uh, this to my students, I always ask like, give examples like the way they greet to their friends and their, the way their grandparents or their mother and father uh, say hello or I think they taught me dope that's dope or so <laughs> and I said like, your grandfather probably doesn't say that right yeah so that's good and and but it's not that's uh, these are only examples of words but there's well, also that, pronunciation and sometimes things that you don't realize you you do different. Yeah. And the other thing, though, the, let's go back to the words. And age is a big one, right? Age is a big factor. Yeah. You certainly would talk differently to a baby. You'd talk differently mm -hmm. to a 10-year-old. A 15-year-old, mm -hmm. you'd probably be different. 18 years old, you'd be talking differently. And on up the line. Now, when you get as far along the line as I am, that's a long way up, <laughs> age-wise, right? So yeah. what do you think that people call you when you're past 70 in India, in English. In English. Like if you go to the bank, you know. drive in window, you go to Starbucks and Walter, things. I don't, I don't they don't I'm say thinking. sir around here, you know? They don't believe in sir, right? Like if you were in Espanol, okay. senor, right? But here, yeah. all the only they say, uh, honey, honey. Oh, honey. H-O-N-E-Y, honey, good morning, honey. <laughs> And then you're sitting there going, whoa, you know, 
I, I've even corrected. I've, I've even corrected them sometimes. I'd say, you know, I'm. I would prefer you call me sir. You know, I didn't uh -huh. survive all these years to be called honey. <laughs> Just call me <laughs> sir. But no, but it happens when you're old. I mean, you know, you get these. Yeah. You get these uh, really strange vocab sometimes. You know, for age. You know, there's honey. Then they, the, the sweetie. Oh, it's another one around here. Sweetie. Did you ever have anybody call you sweetie? You're not old enough yet. I don't think they wouldn't call you sweetie. But when you get up, you know, up a little bit, then it's sweetie instead of sir. Sweetie. But they're trying to be nice. You know, they're, you know, this is Indiana. People are nice, you know, in Indiana. And they're normal yes. folks. And so everybody's trying to be nice. And they'll say, hey, sweetie, what do you want in your coffee? So, <laughs> and you're sitting there going, oh, man, you know. And it, it's... To you, it's a reflection of your old, right? I mean, that's the reaction mm -hmm. you have in, you know, because they don't use they don't use that with other people, you know, younger people. Right. And uh, but there are there are definitely vocab, right? Are there any in Spanish you can think of like that age type things? Yeah, we do have. Yeah, depending on the country, and, uh -huh. uh -huh. we have words and in El Salvador. People use. Like they they say Ray for for men. That's something that. What do they say? Uh, Ray. <laughs> I heard some of the vendors on the street calling me Ray by calling up. Like other guys, guys okay. calling other guys Ray or Principe. Mm -hmm. okay. Like like this sounds like sweetie or honey in English, but uh, it's for male. Okay. And for women, it's princesa or, or reina. Mm -hmm. Well, they do that. I, I they, found that funny. They do that in Mexico a lot with the piropos, right? You know, yeah. uh, there's a lot of that with with the Mexican guys with women, with women. You know, with those the piropos. Uh, now, so we're we're um, trying to figure out here. What's your favorite part of the U.S.? Because you've traveled a lot in the United States. I know. What What's your favorite part? I think I love the Appalachians mm -hmm. mountain. And it's beautiful. West Virginia, the River Gorge area, and I love mountains. So I think I that's my favorite part of the United States. Okay. But there are many others that I still want to see, like the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I still haven't been to yeah, the Grand, okay. Grand Canyon, but I, I want to go as soon as I can. Okay. What's your favorite city? city. Oh, I love Chicago. Yeah, it's, it's a, a beautiful city. And yeah, it's modern and it has a lot of life. Yeah, it's a lovely place. Beautiful. Um, it's cold. Though. It's cold. It gets cold in the <laughs> winter. That's okay. okay. <laughs> it does get cold in the winter. Okay. Yeah. Now, what so what's the most challenging thing you have uh, when you teach? What's what's your biggest challenge? Uh, I think that it usually happens when you teach lower level classes because <laughs> I, I teach uh, usually higher level classes yes. and the students are more motivated. They like the language because of different reasons because yes. they maybe they had a good Spanish uh, <laughs> class in high school. So it's nice, but with lower level classes, the challenge part is that you need to motivate all the students, especially those who are there because they have to. 
So that's the challenging part. But um, I tried. I tried to do my best and. Yeah, and, 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 you know, that that's a great point. And the, the other thing that happens, and it happens on a college level some, but like the lower levels, like middle school and, and grade school, uh, some of the teachers, for example, that teach, like in Indianapolis, that teach in the inner city, let's could say, mm-hmm. and the, the, the lower economic, economic areas, uh, those ch- teaching challenges are to- totally beyond belief, right? And I always tell people, they ask me about the teachers sometimes in those areas, and I always say those are the best teachers in the world because how they get those kids to motivate it, but they do. There's a lot of great students that come out of the inner city schools, right? And I'm sure you can say the same thing about level 101 Spanish. You've had kids in 101 Spanish that went on to excel, right, in Spanish. And, 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 yeah. and a lot of it is your effort, your motivation that did it, you know, and they, they excel and everything. And there are 203 and they go on and study. But, uh, you know, it, it does, it, it, that's interesting that it, uh, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a difference in the challenge of finding different techniques and ways to, to do the teaching is challenging. Um, so, um, what then uh, are your three favorite teaching activities? Oh, okay. Uh, I would say that my, my favorite one is when I use uh, when I use an application that's called Talk Abroad, and okay. it's a system of program. I don't know if you mm-hmm. or at least I have heard about it, but it's a system where uh, the big hire people in Latin America and Spain, native speakers, and then you do buy time so that the students, well, you don't, I mean, the students buy the uh, Right, so that so they right. can practice with a native every day or whenever they want, right? Yeah, you assign mm-hmm. uh, homework or interviews. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that uh, activity because, because we've, First, especially for linguistics classes, where we talk about language, we can talk about mm-hmm. things that are different in each dialect, and we also talk about myths, uh, about mm-hmm. the language, and then then has to interview someone from a specific country. So it's re- real, and, it's more real, right? It's reality. Yes. yes. So the student, when they interview the person, they are they have already mm-hmm. read and talked in class about right. that dialect and some of the things okay. that are interesting about that dialect, and then they can hear that in real life, and they take the role of a linguist, a linguist, because they can like let's say in some dialects people don't know that they do some things they they, they pronounce one letter in a different way. They don't know. They do it, but they don't know it, but then they don't hear it. Mm-hmm. So when the student asks them, do you do this or blah, 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 the, the person usually says, no, we never do that, but they are doing it at the, at the same time. <laughs> okay. So it's like the student just say, oh, okay, okay. Yes, great, uh, great, great. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I, I want to bring up something in Madrid, which one, one of the things I always notice in Madrid is the, the, the pronunciation of the how they drop the D when it's between the A and the O. Hey, hablao. 
See, yeah. hey, you trabajado, and they don't yeah. do that D, do they? They just don't say it, right? I mean, yeah. it's, yeah. I, I mean, it's becoming more and more frequent. In, yeah. In, it, it, it used to be more informal, but I think it's becoming very frequent yeah. in, in informal Spanish and, and in before, Spain. Before I forget about it, this is another thing off this, not on our script or anything, but so in España, the last few years when, when I go there, it seems to me, and the people tell me, my friends, that the word, the use of the two form is becoming mm -hmm. dominant, right? Pretty dominant. Right, yeah. And the usted is going out of the out of use. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. They say, yeah, they, they use uh, tu and vosotros almost all the time. Very, in very, very few uh, cases, it, they would tend to use the then, usted. Then I, it sounds so formal. Yeah. I was told the reason they do that, I don't know if you would verify this or not, or could, they, that it eliminates um, uh, the prejudicial part. Because when you immediately, yeah. when you talk about tu and usted, it's like saying, well, you're my friend, right? Tu eres mi amigo. Mm -hmm. But then you say yeah. usted, and then that doesn't mean that they're their friend, right? Or they're not as, is that true, probably? I mean, mm -hmm. You don't have to. Probably yes. You know, you is you, right? Like in English, we you is you, right? And if you yeah, and they also did, they also did that in the past, like in the middle medieval Spanish, they used boss mm -hmm. as the format of two, and then it disappeared in Spain, and now they they kept it two and instead, and now they are yeah, usted still used but very very rare. But mainly, and, mainly, mainly, I've observed it with older people, you know that. Yes. That yeah, you know, yeah. With somebody who's up there, you know, getting old, you know, fairly old, but otherwise, it's, it's pretty much all too. And and you know, I've been downtown. I've been, you know, in stores and places where they would used to say who's that, and now it's too, you know. I mean, everybody's going to, yeah. you know, you're going whoa. Now in Latin America, not the case, right? In Mexico, it on the country. Mexico yeah. is still pretty heavy on usted, right? Yeah, it depends on the country. The, the two usted uh, boss uh, situation changes on the religion. Some countries prefer usted. Like if you go to Costa Rica, mm -hmm. uh, they use they use a lot of usted mm -hmm. uh, almost all the time or boss. Uh, but then in El Salvador, we keep more the you say the standard way like it's formal and do all those is informal uh but yeah it changes in from region to region now, and, and then in colombia i know my last time i was in bogota everybody 90 percent of people was usted right usted you know very formal they like yeah. they like especially in the highlands they yeah, use usted yeah. a lot there you are and, that's right that's a highland city yep yeah, if you go to Barranquilla, uh -huh. they used to a lot. Yeah, they used to. That's 8,600 yes. feet above sea level. That's about highlands. That's pretty high. I always remember yeah. there that if you ever had a glass of beer or a glass of wine, mm -hmm. it had pretty much affected you immediately until you got used to the altitude. Oh. You know, the altitude is pretty, pretty wicked. Um, so now let's talk again about so that that's your favorite thing what's your second favorite teaching activity teaching activity uh activity let's see 
I like to talk about things. I like when we analyze. Oh, I like when we yeah, analyze language and in class uh, through music. Like, um, especially nowadays that we have uh, students or the younger people listening to a, a lot of reggaeton music. Uh, it's very popular, isn't it? It is song. very, very popular and they usually like it. Uh, so I play, sometimes we play music and uh, one song or during the semester. Do you do a lot of the salsa music then, the salsa stuff? I think it's been a long time since I don't play salsa anymore. It's like it's becoming old fashioned, I guess, or I don't know. Maybe yeah, because the other, all the music. Yeah, the other is probably, probably more favorable, although you know, my visits to Havana, it's still popular in Havana still. You know, the salsa yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, Cuba, yeah. Yeah, Cuba, Cuba well, yeah, different. that's yeah. that's the home of all that business pretty much. Um, so, back to music here. I have a quick question. Yes. What's your favorite song yes. in, the, in the U.S. that you've heard in English? In the U.S., uh, I like, I mean, from the past, uh, old music, I like a lot of oldies, but, uh, I don't know if he's old, uh, if you would say he's an old singer. John Mayer, I don't know if that sounds to you. Oh yeah, uh, he's very Mayers, good. Uh, and some others that I like, uh, but he's not from the United States, he's from Australia, I think. Uh, Troy Sivan probably okay. is not very famous, but... Okay. Um, so, do um, what do you like best about Butler University? Uh, I love that it's a small university, uh, so you get to know the students more, you can see them very frequently and say hello, and there's more contact with the okay. students. You can talk to them more frequently, they go, they, and you can feel that they, uh, that they can talk to you mm -hmm. easily. You're so not unreachable. It's, a very, it's and, a very personable school, isn't it? A lot of personality to it, and and uh, you know where you get to see the students as people, and you know things. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's just a wonderful institution. Um, now here's the next question for you. Uh, this is um, I've had one more question I was going to ask here. What's your favorite movie of the year? Of the year, uh, I liked Pinocchio. Uh, I think it's um, by Guillermo del Toro. Uh -huh. I have to tell you, he's in my book that I'm doing with a Mexican lady. It's called Micro Cuentos yeah. de Mexico. He has good, very good movies. Yeah, he's in he's and in our, he's in the book. We had, I did a little story about him, and uh, he likes insects, insectos. About me. I know. So yeah, he, I can he, tell. He, he comes into the room in the story, and he's a, he's an avispa. He's a wasp. He's a avispa grande, he's this huge wasp, and he comes into this video store, and these two mm -hmm. Mexican teenagers are playing video games in a video uh, arcade shop, and uh, he flies in as the wasp, and he takes them off to Avispalandia, to this oh. world of creativity, the creativity, you know, the guy, he's, he's a creative genius, you know, he's one of the great, great, um, well, directors, and. Uh, mm -hmm amazing guys amazing um yeah but it, it, you have to read the story sometimes it's really good i will but we have him and then i think we have diego luna's in there 
but it's we're, oh. it's we're excited about it because it's about people in Mexico, present and past, but a lot of people that people don't know about. Teachers don't know about them, and the kids don't know about them. So it's been fun to write the book. It's been, you know, challenging but fun, really fun. Uh, now, the last question, the most important question of all for the listeners is, uh, we are we know right now that we are going to hear uh, from Alex some really neat stuff about his native country, El Salvador. And I know he dearly loves the country. And uh, I know his mother's still there and, and other relatives, right? And uh, he goes there quite often, right? And uh, he tells me about it and someday I'm gonna try to go, but it's just, I, it must be a very beautiful country. Can you tell the, the listeners about some of the beautiful places and sites that they might want to go to El Salvador someday and see. Yeah, it's a very small country, uh, very unknown, and unfortunately, I think many people don't have a good, uh, how do you say, they haven't heard any good thing about El Salvador. Probably, I think, yeah, they uh, most people, even sometimes in Latin America, they don't know much about El Salvador, but it's actually the opposite of this one. It's really beautiful, green, a lot of mountains, volcanoes, lakes. Uh, we have, uh, we're famous now for surf. There's a lot of surf in El Salvador. And in the past, uh, when we were known for being one of the most dangerous country, only those surfers who were very, how do you say, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they dared to go. Uh, but now, uh, uh, I don't know if you heard that things have changed in El Salvador recently, and I was really safe. I would say it's probably, I feel safer than many other places in the world. Now, and, so they, there was a problem with the the gangs, right? The gangs. Yes. But now they've eliminated, government's eliminated them, right? Pretty much. Yes. Yeah, usually El Salvador, I would say for tourists, has always been safe. Uh, I've been going since I left the United States every year, once or twice a year, and I never had a problem and everything looked good. But there were neighborhoods where that were very dangerous and you you, you had to know where to go. So well, that it, changed it like two or three years ago when the government um, uh, had another plan, did another, how do you say, manage things differently, and they are all in jail, and and now it's uh, you can see the difference. There's a lot of construction. There's people on the street. Uh, there's people. Uh, there's there, there's a, there are places where people are dancing. Uh, it's 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 a completely different country now in terms of security and freedom. Now, so what about the food in El Salvador? What's the two best foods? Uh, the most popular food uh, is pupusas. And there are many pupuserias, which is the place where you can buy pupusas. Can you Even in the United States, you can find pupuserias. Can you tell the, the listeners what is pupusa? Pupusa is like a tortilla. Uh, it's made of, it could be made of corn or rice. We have two options, rice or corn, and you fill it with cheese and anything you want, uh, from pork to beans, uh, 
garbage and I think it's endless the list of things it's very similar to Arepa but it's not a it's similar but it's not the same okay um, what about sports is what's the favorite sport not soccer or no? yeah we play they, they uh, we play a lot of soccer in El Salvador they love it uh, I don't think we're that good <laughs> uh, I think we only once or twice we went to the World Cup and one of the the last time it was in Spain uh, last century and they did really bad so but it's still popular still okay. popular and you will see now what's your favorite music there is it reggaeton yeah. still no I, uh, no I actually I now I play a lot of I, I listen to reggaeton mostly for my students when I try to find examples uh, of music where the accent from Puerto Rico is very obvious or, or so but I personally listen to all kind of music and in Salvador we don't have very famous singers like in Mexico or Colombia but yeah there are some uh, there's cumbia there's pop and so what do you do for entertainment it's Friday night what would you do in a typical Friday night in El Salvador so there's many options uh, right well in the city we have uh, with downtown which uh, it has been how do you say remade or it's clean now and there's uh, how do you say Arte Callejero street mm -hmm. art so you can walk and there's in, there are some places where people dance or you can take a cup of coffee or the other thing that I like doing in San Salvador is going to the volcano area we have a, uh, San Salvador lies under a volcano mm -hmm. and you can go up to the volcano there's a road and in the road uh, through the road you can you have a lot of restaurants and coffee, uh, coffee shops so there's many coffee shops and because there's uh, we're a coffee country we have a lot of coffee plantations so. now, what's the largest city in El Salvador San Salvador is the largest city and what's uh, like two million people oh, it's, a, two it's million a big people. city big yeah. city so it's it's bigger than Indianapolis right it is yeah yeah if you uh, if you how do you say take into account the neighboring towns mm -hmm. of near San Salvador and yeah so um the the are there any customs that are very different from the united states uh no i think we're a very latino country uh we're very friendly we like to eat pupusas <laughs> uh, you will see pupusas everywhere and they are very cheap uh probably it depends on where you go you can buy it from probably 30 cents Mm -hmm. up to one dollar or, or more maybe uh, and we used to do that especially on weekends uh, if you go to the volcano or there's a, there are other mountains mm -hmm. in the city because San Salvador is hot the weather is tropical but if you go up to the mount, mountains then the weather is a little chilly mm -hmm. so people like to go out and eat pupusas and drink at all or coffee mm -hmm. okay. drink coffee so the um what about the politics? Is it a democracy? Yes. Uh, so the current president is Bukele. And we had a, 
we we spent we had several years where we had to Paris, the right and the left. Uh, I think it was twenty years with the right, and then almost twenty years with the left. And but things never changed. And then at the end, we Bukele. He, it looks like most people join him. It's, it started with the left going to Bukele, and then the right. <laughs> Change it to Bukele, and now it's like they say. I don't know if it's how true is it is, but I, I guess it's close that almost ninety percent of the population yeah. supports the president. It's one of the few okay. countries where the president is very popular mm-hmm. among people. That is good. That's really good. Um, yeah. Well, listen. I tell you what, Alex, you have been wonderful. What a beautiful interview with the information you gave us especially about linguistics and a lot of language things that a lot of listeners are going to be interested to hear about and differences and similarities, etc. And also your knowledge about teaching and methodologies and, uh, and of course, of culture of, of your own country, too, and, uh, and sharing, you know, uh, your knowledge about the United States. Um, so you have been an outstanding guest, as always, and this is your second visit. And we hope there'll be a lot more over the years. So, anyway, thank you so much for and, inviting me. It's well, been it's been an good. honor. It's been an honor to have you on the show. It really has, and we appreciate you coming. And uh, we wish you nothing but the best. And uh, uh, we'll be in touch soon, right? Maybe I'm, I'm going to have you guys over and do a paella, right? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, we, we should. <laughs> we need to do it soon. It's going to get too cold, right? But we'll think yeah. of something else till the spring if it, it does get cold. So we'll, yeah. we'll think of something for the spring. So thank you again so much. And if you stick around a minute, we'll chat for a couple more minutes. And okay. uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, stop our audio here. Okay, guys, the listeners, thank you for being with us. Stop again uh, in the month of November for another special guest. And uh, we may have a really special guest in November. I can't say anything about it yet. But we're working on a really neat guest for November. So, uh, as neat as one as Alex was today, and uh, uh, equally as good, we hope. And uh, so, uh, thank you again for for listening. I hope you're staying warm. Winter is upon us. All right, and uh, we we have a good basketball team, the Pacers. Right, finally we may have a good team this year. So pay attention. Okay, thank you all again. Bye.